0: Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What Drives You is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Yeah. Welcome to What Drives You, I'm Kevin Miller, your host and guide to help you master your inner drive so you can live a driven, inspired, and peaceful life that sees you driving further and enjoying the ride. In this episode i bring you a special what drives you episode with renowned author of the millennial whisperer chris tuff chris was one of the first advertisers to work directly with mark zuckerberg in 2006 and filmed one of the first ever viral videos which landed him on the front page of the wall street journal Tuft's natural ability to connect with his nearly eighty percent millennial and Gen Z workforce led him to publish the national best-selling "The Millennial Whisper" in two thousand nineteen. It's kind of a global movement that soon followed that, as the Atlanta resident Chris shared lessons on empathy and genuine connection at work on some of the largest stages in the world, including such Fortune one hundred companies like Nike. I, of course, wanted to dig into Chris's personal drives, and you'll be interested to hear that his initial drive was simply to beat his older brothers and anything and everything. And while that may not sound dramatic, the thread you'll keep hearing in all of these shows is how often these seemingly innocuous events in our youth direct the trajectory of our lives, and we don't even realize it. Well, Chris went on, found himself just seven years ago burned out. He had a wife, two kids, great success in work, and totally spent. He took a month-long sabbatical and really just reinvented his life. So in this episode, you'll hear how his story unfolded, and through it, I believe you'll find aspects that reveal similar issues in your life, opportunities, if you will, that you can reinvent yourself. You can find Chris Tuff at themillennialwhisperer.com. So I asked you about some of your early motives, and you said beating my brothers in the game of life. What's with
1: that? <laughs> so people would ask me at a young age. I was the youngest of six kids and oh, wow. an identical twin. So, oh wow! I didn't know. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So from uh, from a biological, or I guess from the uh, from the n- nature and nurture side, but mostly nurture side. If anyone's done any work in family systems theory. It basically structured me to be the most competitive individual to ever be born (laughs) because I was always struggling for relevancy in my own identity and and, also from a long line of overachievers. And so as I went into the business world and finally found my my zone of where kind of my passion, purpose, and profession all overlapped for the first time ever, which was in the digital and social kind of advent of digital and social media – If anyone was to ask me, so Chris, like what motivates you? I'd say deep down, it's beating my older two brothers, the game of life. You know, they're all super successful and I'm going to beat them. And then I hit rock bottom about four years ago. And it was at that rock bottom bottom that I decided to change that metric.
0: So literally, so as a kid, as a youth going through school, whatever. So you're just, you're super competitive, but you look back as your drive was to, I mean, was it, I mean, you know, competition, we can look at that. Oh, it's a good hard, idea, you know, competition, brothers are going to be brothers, whatever. Or do you look at it now and go, man, there was some significant insecurity. Are you really trying to prove yourself? I
1: mean, how do you weigh the, uh, I guess, the health of it? I think it was all those things, right? So it's, uh, it's what am I going to be known for out there? How am I going to make a name for myself when, you know, my brothers and sisters have all gone on to Ivy League schools and become, you know, quote unquote, successful in whatever field they've they've gone after. And so for me, it was, I think it was insecurity. Uh, be, when you're coupled together with another being, just trying to be an individual as an identical twin is tough. So if my brother chose soccer, I chose lacrosse, right? Because I'm like, I'm not going to try to do the same thing he did. He chose to go up school, go to school up in the Northeast. I, I chose to stay in the South to Vanderbilt. And so I feel like with a lot of those choices that I made, whether it be large decisions or even small ones, a lot of it was kind of through this framework of what's going to set me up to be both different and recognized. And, you know, as a young six kids in a very hectic household, it was, you know, you're always kind of vying for attention. And so. um, So sports and academia,
0: both socially, I mean, were those three areas where there's all areas where you're trying to prove
1: yourself. A hundred percent. And wow. everything, and I would be relentless at any of them, uh, at all of them, really.
0: I mean, you mentioned nature versus nurture and
1: you've got, you got two kids, right? Three, yeah. Two daughters, 11 and, and almost nine.
0: And I've, I've got a bunch of kids and I, it's daunting to me to realize the impact and influence on their lives of their upbringing. So to the best of my abilities, I'm going to have this influence, but then their brothers and sisters are going to have this influence. How is that? Con- I mean, do you, you know, look at that? Like when we look at personality profiles, sometimes I wonder, do I know what my authentic un, uh, unadulterated personality is like outside of my upbringing? I mean, it's impossible. Who, like, who would Chris be if you'd been single, uh, an only kid?
1: And I don't know, you know, and I don't think there's I do think the harder you work at yourself in this journey, right? And and the more genuine you can be to whatever it is that is driving here and here yeah. and that being always evolving. And that takes massive tenacity and resilience to do it, right?
0: I, I, I call it re-brainwashing. Published. We were brainwashed. We can't totally. not be brainwashed as kids. So to come out of that, yeah, I mean, you, it's a big deal. Yeah, totally.
1: And so I, I think that, And it's not, I'm also married to an identical twin. All right, so take this. That's odd. So here's what's crazy is we both have foils, my my wife and I. And what has been the greatest realization from a social experiment is looking at how much, whether we care to look at it or not, our choice of spouse ends up molding you as an individual. And because, you know, we both went out into the world. 14 years ago, with identical twins, neither one of us had gotten married. We all got married to different people. Our twins didn't marry each other. So that would have been even crazier, right? Yeah. Um, But now we get to see the impact of that spouse choice on personality, interests, um, geographic locations, and all of those things. So, you know, I think even outside of just the family upbringing piece, there's also other contributing factors that make us what it is that we are and what, you know, especially what motivates us. I mean, when you, right now, so yeah, as a father, I mean, do you look
0: back on that and go, man, I was so shaped by my siblings, by that family group. Has it caused you to look at your parenting and be, you
1: know, uber sensitive
0: to it, to how? Sure. Okay,
1: yeah. Well, and I I think so much of that pressure Right. I mean, I even look at the pressure. I put I put myself under ridiculous amounts of pressure as a competitive individual, as an achiever. Um, that is that all of that comes from me. It's not coming from anyone else, right? And and that is a self inflicted thing. And what I'm trying to create with my kids is at least you know the two greatest characteristics that I think make or break people, and and their ability to relentlessly pursue their passions is tenacity. And, um, and, and really, I mean, it's that tenacity, perseverance, as well as, as, as that resilience. Yeah. And so, you know, be allowing our kids to fail, allowing um, also ourselves to fail as we consistently evolve. And I think so many people feel like there's just one track, but we have seasons of life that we need to nurture to continue that development. And, and we're never quite there. And that's part, pro- for me, progress in that direction and living a life where passion, purpose and profession can all overlap to where you don't even know where you're when you're working. That's the most beautiful thing that God gave us. And it's just that so many of our paradigms and the way that we've been set up don't allow those things to thrive. And that's part of why what I'm trying to catalyze with a lot of the stuff that I do around connection.
0: Well, and I wanna get into that. You, you just look at the trajectory. So you do go through school, you're competitive, whatever you end up going to, you mentioned staying in the South, you went to Vanderbilt. Yep. Are you in Nashville now? Uh, no, I'm in Atlanta. I that's, stayed South. Park. That's right, Atlanta, I saw yep. that in the book. Yep. Uh, but, yep. So you go to Vandy and did you graduate
1: there? Graduated Vanderbilt with a huge ego, all the confidence in the world, went to Boston and had 64 failed job interviews until I got my first job. What was your degree? It was human and organizational development, essentially applied human psychology to businesses. And So why? 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 Why go that direction? Um, well, so I interviewed for every single job in those sixty-four. Everything from investment bank. Well, but I, but so I mean, in college at Vandy, why go after that degree? Oh, because c- to me, I was obsessed with people. I was obsessed with what drove people to be the way they were, and then to watch that in the application of theory was so compelling to me, especially like, so for like, I remember our small group, actually, I was like the biggest geek in the HOD classes because it got me so excited to understand how human psychology worked, but then also applying that to group dynamics and businesses in a very applicable way. You'd actually go through a lot of these things that you were learning. So in our small group classes, we learned how small groups came together by putting, um, onto a challenge as a group. So we'd actually go through those stages and be like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Oh, this is so crazy. And I've always been just kind of obsessed with people and what drives them. And, and it's just like this innate curiosity slash enthusiasm that I have for around. L- literally, literally I innate
0: though. I, I mean, cause I was gonna ask, is there literally G- innate? So you don't look back and go, oh yeah, I was exposed
1: to X, Y, Z. My parents did this. Just- I think moving around a lot allowed me to connect with a lot of different people, but genuinely speaking, I mean, one of my greatest strengths is like what you see is what you get. I'm the same person in every single, I talk to the same way to you as I do a billionaire or some, you know, famous actor or actress. I mean, that authenticity comes from a place of wearing my heart in my sleeve and somehow being brought up in a very British household where that's the opposite, right? I actually went to London Kevin, my junior year to figure out why my parents were the one, because the, my dad's British, my mom's half British. I'm like, why is my family this way? Wow. And after going to school there for a semester, I quickly realized why they were. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely, I was born kind of this freak of nature uh-huh. with my heart on my sleeve ever since I came out and just with this kind of compassion and obsession with connection with others.
0: Well, so... You're pursuing that in a degree. Get out. You've got the fancy Vanderbilt diploma to hold up. <laughs> yeah.
1: And what did you say, 64? 64. Why? I think ultimately it came down to, one, it was 2003. So it was a pretty, t- everyone, everything was kind of still springing back from, um, you know, what happened in 2000 with the implosion of dot com. and and. But I think ultimately what it came down to was I was checking boxes, right? I was like, oh, uh, well you know, investment bankers make a lot of money and that's quote unquote successful. So I'll try that. But I think what they saw in all of my interviews was like, this guy's not that passionate about it. And it wasn't until my 65th job interview that I got my first job offer. And that was with a, a small digital marketing firm. There were thir- 12 employees there and it was a little bit creative. It was, you know, all around this new world of digital. And uh, I was like, wait, you can actually make some money by being creative. And, and I had no idea this existed. And, you know, it, sure enough, once I, I landed there, it took five lateral moves over a five year period of time, making $28,000 until I really fell into my niche in the social media world, which was where I say, when your passion, purpose, and profession do overlap, ridiculous things tend to happen to you. And so I had one of the first viral videos, for example, Kevin, um, with me getting engaged to my wife before YouTube. Seven million people saw me get engaged to my wife. We were on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And Good Morning America flew down to interview us about this very emotional proposal that I put on ChristopherTuff.com. And I did all of that with the purpose of, well, one, our our twins seeing our engagement, but two, checking a box by from the owner of our firm saying, Where she challenged me if I got a million views of a viral video, we then use that to prove to our clients that we can do this new social digital media thing. This is in 2005, 2006, right before all that stuff started to happen. And they ended up giving me my own trend spotting social media department before it was really kind of invented. So
0: you said, I mean, you know, leading up to your change, uh, let's yeah. say your valley, whatever, but sure. leading up to that you said something about, you know, the 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 aspect of learning not to make money, the North Star, but even back then, so you're in this arena that is in your interest. I mean, it's sure. it's, it's valid for that and your passion, purpose, whatnot. Was that really it though? Was it really money as opposed to just, again, this is the further achievement Affirmation whatever
1: I think it was first the affirmation and the accolades I got along the way yeah. um, that fueled that passion um, and you know it, it also I was obsessed with where everything was going and um, and kind of the emerging digital media I mean I worked directly with Mark Zuckerberg and sat across from him before they launched to the public as one of his first advertisers. He didn't and people would be like, oh, what was that like? I was like, well, he didn't really talk all of dinner, but <laughs> I was one of the first ones to work with him. Yeah. And being at the advent of such a massive explosion with where the world ended up going was, it was a ride. And I was holding on to this rocket ship with everything I had while looking around and saying, Am I beating them now? Am I beating my brothers now? Am I, am I is this it? I'm making more money than I've, I ever thought you could make in advertising. I just beca- I became the youngest partner of our 100 year old history of our firm. And, but deep down, you know, after about nine or 10 years of that ride, I found myself exhausted and unfulfilled. And I think most of that stems from um, really doing a lot of this stuff or coming to the realization that is this really what I want? Is, is success, is the metric of success of beating my brothers, the game of life, the best metric? And it was like, no, it's not.
0: Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out Use promo code Kevin. AirDoctorPro.com, promo code Kevin. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's
1: wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Is the metric of success of beating my brothers at the game of life the best metric? And it was like, no, it's not.
0: So it, was it literally a short amount? Was it, a, was it a, an occurrence of the breakdown? I mean, are you going along, going along? And is it a crash or is it kind of a, a, a slow you know, what? It was a crash.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, and it manifested as, um, like, um, I mean, almost panic attacks and massive amounts of stress and not sleeping much. And, and ultimately it came down to me looking at my wife and I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And she's like, yeah, I, I can tell, like, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I think I'm gonna take a month off and so I'm gonna ask for kind of a sabbatical. And So you're
0: married, you're married, you already have the two kids. Two kids. You got yeah. the job, youngest partner, you're working like mad. You do care about what you're doing, so you enjoy that. You're leading people, having success, but you're just, it's you know, in reading it, it, sounds like you're just full tilt boogie. I mean, you're burning the candle at all ends and, and just nuts. And other, she saw it, you said other people at work uh, you know, your partners, whatever, they saw it and said, you kind of related, like they were kind of like waiting for you to, when's this going to end or when's it yeah. going to come around? And so it wasn't a big surprise. And so it was a, it was a screeching st- stop and you took a month of what month sabbatical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and the, that month was just kind of a, wake up the next morning and try to open your eyes and figure out what's going on. Was there any kind of a purpose? Yeah. I that tore, month?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, I tore the house down and I looked. Very in depth uh, within myself. I turned off my phone for a month. I I didn't talk to. I you know uh, found a place that I could actually catch, you know, spend time with just me, and and really assess what it is that I want to be building, doing, and and also um, where it is that I want to go. And and it was in that month off that I realized that, well, one, my metric of success was off Um, beating my brothers, the game of life probably isn't the best thing. And instead, you know, success should be really deemed on a, on a nightly or a a daily basis. When my, when my at night, my head hits the pillow and it should just simply be, did I have the impact that I intended for the day? Uh, And, and I, you know I had already figured out what my purpose, personal purpose statement was, but I further honed it and, and that was to inspire and connect. And so I went from this place of being the tip of the spear, the tip of the arrow for the firm and you know if you had googled me back then, you would have seen all of the accolades that I got for you know my ideas around where social media was going, et etc. And I really took all of those efforts and said, you know what? I'm going to focus it on my people. And everyone on my team, we have 320 employees at that time uh, at the firm, and I'm just going to be that leader that um, they need. And uh, I'm going to put it all in them and I'm going to let them shine. I'm going to let them have the, the, the headlines and, and, and really take all of that effort in creating that connection inward. work. And what happened through that process was magical. And I found it to be ten times more fulfilling than anything else I'd ever done and I, I I found I had a knack for for really getting people really once again inspiring and connecting people and um, you know it was after about a year of that Kevin that I was at a executive retreat you know co- you know still kind of pursuing this stuff that I introduced myself around the fire, and I was like, well I'm not really I don't know how to introduce myself because I'm not really the digital and social guy anymore at the firm. Well, I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And I introduced myself as the millennial whisperer. And that was, um, I shared my story, sat down around the fire and the guy leading the retreat who I didn't know at the time, Tommy Breedlove kicks me. And he goes, you better write that book. And I was like, what book? He goes, the millennial whisperer, you will crush it. And some of the guys around the fire, they're like, yeah. And you know, average age being 45 to 50, they're like, well, what, what do you do? What are some of the things? Because I can't stand this generation. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I gave them a, a few of the tactics that I use with my different team members. Um, like, you know, the art of the flyby. I'm like, well, I, every Monday I go by everyone's desk and I ask them how their weekend was. And I usually know because I follow them on Instagram and I say, oh, do you know, Meg, that, that, that puppy you just adopted is so, so cute. Like, tell me more about that. And they're like, the art of the flyby, that stuff works? And I I talked about a few other things. And it was three weeks later, two of them, no, actually three of them called me. And they're like, Chris, I'm implementing some of your strategies and they work. And so I I ended up calling this Tommy Breedlove guy again. And I was like, Tommy, I think I'm going to write this book. (laughs) So he was like, all right, here's what you need to know. And the rest was kind of uh, history from there. I want
0: to ask some details on that, just so you know. Uh, kind of like you, Tommy is a guy that I have known of for a long time, and whenever this show publishes, he'll be on, he, on within I think 30, 45 days.
1: Uh, I love it. So we'll,
0: mean, we'll talk about we'll talk about you then.
1: I love it. I um,
0: love it. Okay, so I want to come back though. So you have this month away, this you know rebirthing in essence, uh, death and rebirth maybe, and sure. a different focal point. How? Well, what was, first off, what was the timeline between that, that
1: point, that month away and this executive retreat? Probably about six months. Oh, and, okay. And yeah, so that time away, I mean, there are a couple key decisions that I'm not shy to share. You know, one was changing that metric of success. Yeah. Um, two was doubling down on my family and my daughters and being a little bit more in um, a part of their life versus, you know, on my cell phone and distracted all the time. Yeah and on work trips. I mean, I was traveling at least once a week on different planes going who knows where. And then the third piece was, uh, as I looked at kind of the, the stock of the soup, I was like, all right, I need to stop just drinking because what drinking does for me was, you know, kind of added this element of, um, of anxiety that I didn't really need. So I I took that out as well. And what I found once, I started acting upon these things. I was like, "Wait, this is amazing. Like this this is this is as true to who I was meant to be as I've ever felt. Authenticity and living that." And then I found that as I started to work with the different people on my team, I got to see that impact so profoundly and I was like, "This is it. This is why I was put on this earth." And Then, um, you know, it was about, once again, five months after getting a little bit more of that going that I was like, okay, I got the confidence to do this thing.
0: And that, so that executive retreat, so here you are, you're still, you're, you're with, you're still with 22 uh, squared, you're with them, you go to this retreat, just, is this just a solo thing that have anything to do with work
1: or it's just you on your own? No, just solo, just kind of in this pursuit of becoming a better human.
0: You say executive retreat, was it a, when you say that it's, it's, to me, I hear that and, and that could be uh, 15 different flavors of an executive yeah, yeah. retreat. I assume, and in knowing of Tommy somewhat, that it was something not focused on, hey, here's how to get you know to the next level and make your next million dollars. This was a personal.
1: Personal. Inde- okay. Yeah. Very much uh, slanted on the personal side. It, the only reason you can call it an executive retreat is that it was comprised of executives. Okay. That's well, it. And so was that.
0: Had you all along still had this focus on your, you know, personal development, personal growth, or was that kind of a dawning of it in a more, I'm going to use that word healthy again, but in in a more healthy way.
1: I would say that it was a dawning of it by opening up to others about what I was doing solo. And I was taking, I was doing a lot of the work and practicing some of these things on my own without necessarily opening up to others about, um, about what this is all about. And Mm -hmm. that was huge for me. And I actually, I was talking to my wife about it with Tommy the other day, because now Tommy and I are best friends and, you know, he's also the first person I call when I needed practical advice. And, uh, my wife said, talked about right before that retreat, I turned to her one night and I had tears in my eyes and I said, uh, Julie, how sad is it that I don't really have any friends anymore as I've been kind of going on this journey alone? I, I don't really, cause I'm not going out to parties and hanging out with the same set of friends and I'm just kind of lonely. And she just didn't know what to say and then enter Tommy. And that was really the catalyst to connection with other people around this, um, what then pretty much became kind of an obsession for me of um, how do we just continue to live more authentic lives ourselves? Um, specifically well, I'm, I'm curious
0: on that because I mean, you said in some of the content that you gave me, you said, I'm and you've said it multiple times here. I am I'm obsessed with genuine connection. So, so yep. that was early on. That was the thread all through all this stuff. So, it's interesting because that was that was a true thread. So that was a true thread. Maybe you were walking it out in a, you know, not as deep of a way as you, as you are now. Because you also said deep down, uh, as humans, we all just want to be loved, you know, recognized and accepted. So here you are with this obsession for genuine connection. You go through this personal crisis and revamping and you still have that thread. I like that, that it's still, yeah. you know, that was still true to you. But I'm, if I'm understanding right, it took a. Is it even fair to say it's a different?
1: It took a different direction, or it took a, just took a deeper dive. I think it took a deeper dive in a different direction because it was less of having impact me to others, and it was more of having impact through others. And you know, even when trying to create my purpose statement to put that stake in the ground, I went all the way back to like my third grade report cards, and I remember vividly. Some of the only positive things on those were Chris's enthusiasm is contagious. That was in third grade, Kevin, and I still remember it. And that is the foundation of essentially what I've become and continue to develop on top of. And so, you know, I call it the, like those 64 job interviews, right? It's, I kind of call it this Plinko game of life that kind of spit me out somewhere close to where my passion's were. yeah, um, And then, you know, with five lateral moves at the time that was really, I was super passionate and excited about it, but we evolve as human beings. And I think often, oftentimes we get stuck in our old jobs that were catered to uh, younger selves versus making some of those moves that are necessary to continue that development. And, and really that executive retreat for me was once again, five months into a newer role that I was Changing that mindset to having impact to through others versus you know more of just me being that point of the era.
0: Well, so it's interesting you talking about your perspective change with, and my paraphrasing, you being the hero and you helping other people be the hero. It, it, you know, it harkens to. I mean, this is uh, Donald Miller's you know storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And and what he nails us to the wall now with, you know, looking at our website and go, yeah, it's all about you. It's not about, you know, who's the hero. It's your it's your customer. So, you know, that so as you're doing that, you're walking this new metric, in essence, and you go to the executive conference. Tommy hits you and other people with support for this millennial Whisper. So you write this book, which at face value, and I'm holding it up here for those watching the video. For at face value, you could say, okay, the guy's got great insight. And here's at-
1: the Spanish one, by the way.
0: In <laughs> Kaka, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that is funny. You know, it's funny. I, you know, I told you, I just, I just signed a book deal, and we kept the international awesome. rights. And the first person to, to buy the international rights is a Korean publisher.
1: I love it. That's going to look so cool. I,
0: I'm wondering, but I'm also wondering how that, why that happened. That's anyway, awesome. Um, but here's a guy with some insight on millennials that can help us who want to have influence or who are leading in millennials, we can give them insight, but it feels like it's also, it was very much just a coming of age for you. Oh uh, yeah. It was, I mean,
1: yeah, there's no better way to put it.
0: So is it one of those things where here you did, okay, I'm going to hold the book up again. You did a work. So you, you, you poured yourself into this to be of value to people but
1: within it,
0: you can we say that you found your voice?
1: Yeah, I found my voice and I found my my, you know, books are interesting, right? And I've learned a lot about books. You know, I, I'm always astounded at how few people read books, even when you give 10,000 of them away, which I think it was your your dad that challenged me to give as many away as possible. I was like, all right. And I gave away 10,000 Millennial whisper books. But, you know, it's what, what has been so fascinating to me though is that the impact of a book is profound and for a lot of different ways and it allows you to truly be a creator and an innovator and to have something that is both tangible and ingestible and I, you know things that it can create this these waves and ripples that Are delayed, and for someone that loves instantaneous gratification, like a book was like, "What? It's going to take three years for this to actually really get, um, you know, some of the momentum going." But it's like, wow, no matter what way you look at it, it's true. Yeah. And so, when you're, what books allow you to do is to really double down on, I think, innovative thinking that you yourself can come up with, but then also to then um, create uh business opportunities and and even speeches and interviews that are right in line with where your greatest passions lie. Like how cool is that? And and so for me to be able to taste that and listen it took you know I I took out a huge loan. I I I was rel- I had 700 I think over 700 podcasts and media interviews and You know, but I went all in and and that is what it takes, I think, to really get the word out there. And then it starts, you know, you go from this mentality of making it happen to letting it happen.
0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: You know, you go from this mentality of making it happen to letting it happen.
0: Okay, well, and I'd I, say, I wanted, I wanted, yeah, to, I wanted to dig in there. So you're still, yeah. you know, this, again, go back to the executive conference and this prompt to hey you need to write this book you're still even though you changed some things to a more sustainable life still full-time yeah partner in this firm yeah when did you start to veer from that and say I want to go all in in this I I don't even know other direction or just in your
1: own direction at least yeah how long I I would say well it was um You probably know my friend, Nick Pavlidis, who is kind of my go-to for the editing and a lot of the context around the book. And I remember right before publishing, not right before, it was probably three months prior to publishing, he said, so Chris, how big do you want this thing to be? And I was like, "Uh, whatever that the biggest is. And he was like, all right, just buckle up. And it was really in that moment where I was like, all right, I'm committing to this. And I will not stop until... I have the impact, the impact that I intended and all of that. And I, 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 I you know, wh- I had a couple visions in my head, you know, one, I wanted to use the book to land a new client for my firm hmm. to show a different way of having impact and be able to get through the doors. But, you know, two, I had this vision of being on the main stage at Nike has always been my dream. And I did that. Right. With the millennial whisper, I was on the main stage at Nike was I mean, I think I actually did cry at the end of it because I was like, this is kind of my dream ever since I started this journey. And it took me about 18 months to get there. And, um, you know, that for me is beautiful. Right. Like, how cool is that, that, um, you know, you can create this this life and this world that is um, is is so in line with your head and heart. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you become known for this. I heard stories from my dad somewhat on some of the stages you've been on and the books and whatnot. When did that become then? Did you just, I mean, was there a day you officially left 22
1: squared? No, I'm still at 22 oh, squared today. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and, and the whole premise is that I use the book to open up doors for new business and relationships. And okay. every day i would say a new one opens up wow. and you know it's it's through it's in different realms of organizations but my specialty is curating genuine relationships and connection with whoever it is and a lot of my and you know that that's kind of taking me to what the next book will be is about but you know for me it's you, we've got to get a little bit more creative about how we navigate um the business world with uh, being a painkiller, I say, you know, and one of the filters I use for the millennial whispers, be a painkiller, not a vitamin. And we know with books, there are so many vitamins out there. And instead, I needed to address and alleviate specific pain points that organizations were going through. And there's probably no greater one than millennials and Gen Z right now. And, you know, once again, the whole premise of my book is around really using them as a catalyst to change the way that we look at our organizations, and we use them to evolve to what we need to be evolving for. Because deep down, if you look at what millennials and Gen Zers want, we all kind of want it.
0: <laughs> well, and, and just to cut kind of off tangent a little bit, but with sure. the book, do you, because I, I know I came into it viewing it as, yeah, if I'm heading up Nike and I've got all these you know kids working for me, um, I, I'm going to read this to understand how to be a better influencer leader uh, with them. Is it something, however, that you are also recommending that the
1: millennials themselves read Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, once again, it, this this is a book about meeting somewhere in the middle about yeah. stuff. You know, I, I talk a lot about the impact of social media and instantaneous gratification and what I call is, you know, the kind of grass is always greener complex or what leads into like, you know, what social media has done is it's created an all, and not just millennials and Gen Zers, but a, a lot of us, this world that pretends to be perfection that is not and you know my 70 30 rule is a tactic that i use with any new employee and what i encourage a lot of organizations to do is that you know 70% of your job should fire you up and fuel you up 30% is just going to suck mm-hmm. and and that is that is the harsh reality of life yeah. and if you're looking for the alternative i don't think it really exists and so take your job description figure out what's in your 70% you know, fire you up, fill you up. And then what's in your 30%. And it's actually the, that's the first question I'll ask organizations to, I'll bring up a millennial board and the Gen Z board uh, of their all-star employees and say, okay, 70, 30, is that about the, you know, the, the variable for each one? Um, is that the percentage for each one in terms of uh, 70% of your job being great and 30% being kind of not that fun? And sometimes they're like, actually, it's 70-30 the other way. And yeah. it's like, all right, that's, that's okay. Now I turn to the executives and say, now it's up to you all to create an environment to where some of those passions and things can thrive. Because our role as leaders has completely changed with these generations from being the bossy boss to being yeah. much more of a mentor and a coach. Yeah. And I can talk a lot about why that is, but mostly it's the, if you look at even just our relationships with parents... You know, Xers and Boomers had these parents that were authoritarian figures. They didn't really have that deep of a connection or relationship, and that's completely shifted into Gen with 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 Millennials and Gen Zers. And so, when they enter the workforce, when they look at someone as their boss, they're looking for a similar type of relationship. And a lot of times, they're they're looking for more of that connection and mentorship. And I know I digress and kind of more specifics on that.
0: No, and I I think we're going to do a follow-up show and and I (laughs) want to dig into some specifics on on the motives for millennials specifically. But, you know, so here you are. And yeah, somehow I missed that, that you're still with uh, 22 Squared. So you're still here. You still got this you know, career business happened over here, but now you've created your personal brand known as the, you know, millennial whisper. So, but you've got a a separate business, your own business over here in essence. And now you have, you're coming out with another book, but where, when you look at your trajectory, again, coming back to motive, is that just kind of a multiple streams of income type thing? Where, where are you headed?
1: I mean, right now it's, you got to look deep, deeply at, all right, where is where is my ability to be free yeah. if you will right to do the things that I love? Where does that come from? And a lot of it comes from where I'm a partner 22 squared. So, my priorities oftentimes Kevin won't be okay, what's the biggest stage I can get on? I put it through a different filter of who would be a good client for 22 and then use that I use that to then prioritize who it is that I pursue and who it is that I, you know, also court. And so, you know, ultimately, where is it that I'm going with it all? I think it's to continue to build upon that and, uh, and have the impact that I, I'm, I'm looking for on some of, at some of these both larger organizations, but also smaller organizations um, with applying just kind of this, the, these ideas around the importance of really motivating our people through connection.
0: With that, again, looking at motive for that, did you just see, hey, here's an opportunity to kind of expand and further this message? Did you see a specific problem popping up? Yeah. You said, I want to, uh, well, like you
1: said, uh, this is a what'd you say, a, a pain pill uh, yeah, is needed? A pain here. Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. a painkiller? Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. And when all my stages and and opportunities yeah. were They flew out the window, and you know, part of the thing that I tell my daughters is the importance around resilience. So I have my two-hour rule where I can wallow and 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 complain about it, and then after two hours, it's time to take action. And it was in those two hours; it actually took me like literally twelve minutes, and I was like, "Okay, if coming out of this thing, where's the greatest amount of pain going to be? Well, people are going to need to return on their investment. You know, they're going to be less." excited about bringing in someone that can help with culture and connection with their people because they're, they're struggling for survival, Kevin, right? Yeah, yeah. So what is the one thing that I can introduce in a new way, in a compelling way with stories and tactics um, that can have the greatest impact and, and once again, be that new painkiller for organizations? And it's really with with sales and networking. And people will say to me, like, Chris, you are the most ridiculous human being ever. Like, you know, there's a saying, go to Chris Tuff for stuff at my firm because I know everyone for everything. And I, go, I did a lecture at Vanderbilt, a guest lecture, and it was actually one of the highest rating net, uh, uh, lectures of the year. And it was how to network like a mofo was the title of it. And you had a line of young people that were like, Chris, like, tell me about this tactic and tell me about that tactic. I was like, all right, but I'm going to write this book titled Save Your Asks, which is a call to action that we need to make our intention, connection, and then the ask should come later. Hmm. And that is a total flip of the script with anyone that's selling. I mean, you get it every single day, Kevin, of people wanting to be on your podcast, and they go in with that ask way too early. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, they, how lead, about first... they, they lead with it. It's, and yeah. they don't even listen to your podcast, right? Do you know how many people reach out to me? I have 700,000 unread emails and 99% of them are people asking for something without doing any research.
0: Oh, I, I can't keep up with it anymore. But once in a blue moon, I'll get uh, somebody, even an agency, you know, like you. Yeah. Okay. So, I, and I just, we figured this out that it was Interview Valet that first, connected. I mean, I, I, my dad had talked about you, but Interview Valet, that's Tom Schwab, great guy. And, yeah. Um, but once in a while, I'll get a contact, you know, hey, I think so-and-so would be a good show because I listened to XYZ episode and I was really impacted by whatever. And I, the Hallelujah Chorus comes on. totally. Or I'll have somebody uh, send, you know, not just the book, but I've had, you know, food and chocolates and- mm-hmm you know, uh, swag and stuff sent. And it's, but it's so rare. I, it's, it's. I mean, I grew up, you know, my dad, I grew up in a sales yep. culture and man, you may nurture, you may nurture a relationship. I nurtured a relationship. This is a true story. I nurtured a relationship with Tom Ziegler for probably two years before oh I asked. Goodness. And then I yeah. got, then I got on stage for Ziegler, but it was. And awful. then,
1: and it worked, right? So yeah. I have one of the concepts in the new book. You'll love this. I got to just give a little bit of a Dude. nod to it, but Dude. it's called Shawshanking. And Shawshank was introduced to me in 2012 after I was signing one of the biggest deals of my life with a social. Once again, it was the social media buying and technology. And I turned to this guy, Jason Beckerman, serial entrepreneur. And I said, Jason, we met seven years ago. And here we are signing the biggest contract of probably your life. How the sales guy in me, how did you do it? And he turned to me, he goes, Chris, I Shawshanked you. And I was like, Shawshank, what's that? He said, you know, Shawshank Redemption, yeah. you know, he did a letter a week to get the library redone. And he finally, after right. two years, got it redone. Right, Every right, single right. week, Chris, I've had a touch point with you for the last seven years. It's been on Instagram. It's been on uh, instant message. It's been on text. Not ever was I asking for anything from you, but I was just creating a touch point. And it was through that we created a relationship to where we are now in signing this thing. I was like, oh my gosh, Jason, I just got a call. From the CMO of a huge, a Fortune 50 company, and I think I kind of blew them off because they were trying to hire me as a social, you know, digital person. So I'm going to call them back and I'm going to go try that same technique on them. And Kevin, here's the coolest thing: uh, we ended up winning that client after I went over there and I whiteboarded who it was that they needed to hire. Once again, going with the give, and I gave them the give, and then I did a couple speeches around where social media and digital were going, and it was. 18 months later that we got our first project with that company. And fast forward to today, there are we have 110 of our employees on that one account. Wow! And it's like, to your point, right? Like it takes time to curate connection. And all of my stories start the same way where they end up becoming my good friend, yeah. right? Like how cool is that? That when I'm courting someone, they end up becoming my good friend. And then a byproduct of that ends up doing business together.
0: Well, it sounds like the millennial, you know, the the, the, the newer how yeah. to win friends and influence people in today's day and economy, Ex- which
1: I... Exa- and I was talking to your dad about that a couple of weeks ago. I was like, that's exactly what it is. And, yeah. and really, it's not, it's no different than doubling down on my whole um, kind of obsession around connection and it's taking connection inward within organizations and putting it outward, right? So it's the connection... How do yeah. you create connection? Out? Well,
0: I want to come back and I've got a couple ideas. I want to come back and talk a little bit more about motives for millennials, what you see college yeah. and even that, because that has come up so consistently where we, the reality of our culture and our corporate world having such a hard time with this influx of you know new workers who don't have, you know, the term, the soft skills, which somebody, I got to figure out who it was. Cause I read it and I love that said, no, these are essential skills, but they don't yeah. know. I mean, this is what I talked to my adult kids about. You guys have such a leg up just because you know how to relate to people. I don't care what, you know, whatever skill they can teach you, but you, the skill of relating to people. So, uh, I want to do a follow-up on that. I one, can't man. wait. I'm I can't so stoked wait. to finally uh, connected with you. I, I, the message is, uh, is so stout. I love the threads that uh, we can see through your life and how they played out. It'll speak to people because it helps us understand our own motives when we hear others. Man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, candidly sharing your motives.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, Kevin.
0: Well, again, friends, that was Chris Tuff, T-U-F-F, who you can find at themillennialwhisperer.com. If you appreciate the show, we'd love a rating or review on Spotify and Apple podcast. Uh, You can check in, subscribe with us on YouTube or any of the social media outlets and see the videos or video clips of all these shows. Find me at KevinMiller.co. And of course, if you want to learn how to master your own inner drive, get my book, What Drives You on Amazon. Until next time, stay driven. Yeah.